Welcome to More to Come, PW Comic World's weekly podcast on comics and graphic novel publishing. I'm Calvin Reed, Senior News Editor of Publishers Weekly and Co-Editor of PW Comics World and Editor of The Fanatic, uh, PW's uh, twice-a-month comics and pop culture newsletter. Check us out online at publishersweekly.com slash comics. Uh, okay, um, More to Come listeners, this is my uh, a great pleasure. Uh, he's been on the show before. Uh, before I even say his name, I'll give you a long list of accomplishments. He's the author of American Born Chinese, uh, Boxers and Saints, both uh, nominated for the National Book Award, a Shadow Hero with Sonny Liu, um, The Last Airbender with the artist Guri Hiru. I hope I said that right. Uh, he's the author of New Superman. Superman. <laughs> he is the um, the uh, well the, the the national ambassador for young people's literature and. And MacArthur Fellow, I probably left something out because only because the list is so long. Gene Lu and Yang, thank you so much for being on More to Come yet again. Thank you. Thank you, Calvin. It's always a pleasure to talk it, with you. It's thank a, you so it's much. It's a treat to talk to you. Um, uh, I, I probably could have made that list longer, but I think everybody gets the message. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I appreciate that. Thank you. <laughs> but, um, uh, but what we're here to talk about uh, and I should say, I mean, we chatted a little bit before this started. I mean, obviously this, uh, the, we're all dealing with the pandemic situation. Um, um, uh, but fortunately we can reach out across the internet and, uh, and talk about some things. There aren't any sports, live sports going on now, but, uh, the next best thing is your new book, Dragon Hoops, Small Steps to Great Leaps. Um, uh, while it's the story of a powerhouse high school basketball program, uh, for me, it's also, uh, the making of a fan, um, and a few other things that we're going to, we're going to talk about on the show today. So, um, uh, real quickly, that was my description of the book. Why don't you give a description of the book? Well, Dragon Hoops is my first nonfiction graphic novel. Mm -hmm. uh, it took me five years to finish from beginning to end. Wow. I started it in 2014. Mm -hmm. Back then, I was a high school teacher. I taught at Bishop O'Dowd High School, a Catholic school in Oakland, California. We had a great sports program, but because mm -hmm. I was a computer science teacher, I really didn't have any connection with the sports program. Mm -hmm. Every now and then, I have a student who is also on either the basketball team or the football team or maybe the volleyball team. Sure. And I would go to a game every now and then, you know, maybe once every couple of years. But in general, it didn't really affect my life that much. Mm -hmm. But during the 2014-2015 season, at the beginning of that season, everyone was talking about the varsity men's basketball team. Mm -hmm. So I had to find out what was up. I had just finished a, a big project, a, a book that took me six years to finish. I was looking for a new idea, and this came up. And I was like, man, I got to tell the story of this team. So that's exactly what it is. It's a story of me following this high school basketball team mm. for a season, for the 2014-15 season. Um, Honestly, though, it's also, it's also yeah. a story about how I became a basketball fan because I was not a basketball fan mm. before working on this book. Well, I, I mean, I, uh, when, when I first got a hand, uh, hands on the galleys for this, I mean, I, you know, I, electricity went off because, well, look, I'm a fan of your work anyway. Uh, but I'm a goofy sports fan too. Uh, <laughs> and I'm a goofy basketball fan. As we, as we interview you here, I'm wearing a New York Knicks, uh, t-shirt. Yes, you are. Um, yes, you are. <laughs> which shows you just how pathetic I am. Uh, <laughs> even, <laughs> You know, on lockdown and at home for weeks, uh, I even feel bad that I can't watch the Knicks, watch the Knicks lose every night. But be that as it yeah. may. Um, so it, it was really exciting for me. Uh, sports uh, it, to me is, uh, yes, it's fun and exciting, but there there's a power to it. Um, uh, there's a bonding thing to it. It, it kind of transcends a lot of things. So you can use it when you can't talk with anybody about anyone else and to see the, the process that you go through as well as other things, because I mean, this, you, you go through some life changes in the book that you talk about as well. Yeah. Where you that's right. commit to some things. Um, that's right. um uh, and like one of those old great world war two movies, you have this cast of characters that you're able to illuminate that, that tell us so much about the community and ourselves. So anyway, I could go on and on, but I, I, I want to delve a little bit more into, um, the team and, and sure. maybe you could like 
start off and talk a little bit about uh, the head coach. We'll start with um, Lou Ritchie. Sure, sure, sure. Well, Lou Ritchie, he and I had been on the same campus for over a decade, but we had not really been friends. You know, mm-hmm. he was a PE teacher. He's the, the varsity um, head coach. Um, and I'd see him every now and then. Like, basically, the campus was organized so that all the classroom buildings were on one side of this narrow ro- road that mm-hmm. ran down the campus. And then all, like, the gym and all the athletic facilities were on the other side. So he was on one side of campus. I was on the other. The only time I would ever cross that road was really when, like, one of the PE teachers needed some tech support. I was part of the tech support team to go help out, right? Yeah. So it was a classic, like, jock-nerd divide. But then I started talking to him about basketball and about his his team. And and now we're pretty good friends. We'll we'll text. I don't know. We'll text text each other at least once or twice a week, you know, and we'll, Mm -hmm. we'll call each other stuff. Um, and he's, what I discovered was first, he did not conform to all the stereotypes that I had in my Mm -hmm. head about an athlete. Cause he's also a nerd. Uh He loves reading. He loves like, he loves keeping track of stats. I I feel like part of his love of, uh, of sports is kind of rooted in numbers, you Uh know? And, um, and he invited me to go, go follow this team. So, at the very beginning of the season, he told me this crazy story from when he was a teenager. And that's really – that was the moment when I was like, I have to put this into a, a graphic novel. So here's here's the story he told. Yeah. He, he's an alum of that same school. He's yes. an African-American. Nowadays, the school is relatively diverse. When he was in high school in the 1980s, it was not. Hmm. Like O'Dowd was kind of – or all the rich white kids from the Oakland Hills went. That mm-hmm. was the stereotype. That was the reputation. Um, his mom pushed him to go. He went kind of unwillingly. And then he was able to find a home in the school through that athletic program, specifically through the basketball team, right? Mm-hmm. He is, uh, when he's a junior, he's a backup point guard on the, on the team. They go to the California State Championship. They play in a televised game, yeah. the biggest game of young 17 year old Lou Ritchie's life. He gets the ball in his hand with seven seconds left. He puts it up at the buzzer. It goes through the hoop, but then the refs invalidate that, that, um, that, uh, that uh shot. It's just you know, amazing. That yeah, it's crazy. When he told me the story, I was like, that sounds like it's out of a movie. I don't know if I believe yeah, it. Yeah, it's true. But then he gives me the tape. Yeah, it's totally true. He gives me the tape. I take it home and I watch it and it happened exactly as he described it. So he, the, the team loses by one because that shot was invalidated. And, uh, and it kind of has haunted him. You know, it's haunted him. Yeah. He ended up playing for UCLA and then Clemson and then he gets injured and that's, that's mm-hmm. the end of that. And he comes back to a doubt as an assistant coach and as a head coach. As an assistant coach and as a head coach, he leads five teams to the California yes. State Championship and he it's, loses all five times. It's incredible. So. <laughs> the 2014-2015 season, because we had this kid named Ivan Rab on the team, yes. was supposedly Lou's best shot at finally winning the state championship. So I followed his his team in part to see if he would be able to do it. Well, that's one of the uh, – I mean, I, I, I don't guess it's a spoiler because, of course, it's the, the records of the team are out there. You can see accounts of this sure. season everywhere. But it's yeah. really a remarkable story. Uh, throughout this book, as you – decide that this is going to be because i think you had just finished boxers and saints yeah and part yeah. of the book is of course you talking with your wife who's a great character in there I'm, uh, <laughs> i i love the part in there where you're saying oh these players they talk to me like i'm the media and she says you are the media <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. i mean throughout this book uh, i mean this, the, the book uh you take us on a completely improbable journey that we know how it's going to end uh, but still, it's just an amazing story. This team is able, after failing so many times, uh, you know, under the old head coach who figures yeah. as a, uh, in the story as well, and the new head, they reach their goal again. But we'll get back to that. We'll get back sure. to that. Um, but, uh, what's interesting also is how there is this multi-generational aspect of uh, the basketball team because his, yeah. uh, you know, uh, coach Richie's assistants uh, know each other for years, um, yeah. uh, and have come back again and again. There's a great sort of legacy there. Um, but let's jump to some of the players because that's one of the other delights of this book, uh, is the profiles, how you profile each player. I mean, it literally is a multicultural, like, platter of experiences 
It is. It is. So maybe we could just go down the list really quickly and have you talk about a couple of them. You mentioned uh, what Ivan and you have, and Paris. Yeah, uh, yeah. Maybe you know they were real stars. I mean, real ESPN yeah. high school all stars. Tell us yep. a little bit about them. I mean, Ivan and Paris, they uh, they really seem like opposites to me. They're best mm-hmm. friends. They they called each other brothers. Yeah. You know? And and they had been playing together since junior high. Um, but both their personalities and their style of play were very different from each other. Mm-hmm. So uh, Ivan is, is pretty big. He's one of the tallest kids on the team. Uh, Paris was, I don't know, he was like 5'10", maybe? He, mm-hmm. he, was, he was on the shorter side for a basketball player. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and when you meet them in person, Ivan is quiet to the point of almost being shy, mm-hmm. you know? And Paris, the opposite. Paris is uh, much more aggressive in the way he talks. But then on the court, Ivan's like this monster. He like he was just everything he did was explosive, and Paris was almost like an acrobat. He'd find ways of weaving through the his opponents in, in this uh, beautiful and amazingly graceful way. I mean, that's honestly watching Paris play. Just watching Paris play took me halfway to to becoming a basketball fan. Just watching <laughs> him play once because it was so beautiful and precise yeah. the way he would do things. It was it was. It was really amazing. So Paris is actually now uh, playing at Cal. Great. Well, I mean, not anymore because of happening now. Oh, right. Now. Yeah, but he, he was finishing up his, his last year at Cal. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then uh, you're wearing a New York Knicks jer- uh, 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 T-shirt. Ivan was on the New York Knicks, and then he got waved right before all this stuff happened. Oh, so we're really? hoping I didn't know that. Oh, yeah, I yeah. That. He, 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 was, uh, he was drafted by the Grizzlies, and then he went to the Knicks. At the beginning of the season. Oh, huh. So, um, but he, yeah, so, I mean, has he just been released or he's just home right now? So he, he's on the Winchester. Oh, Knicks. so the Winchester. Westchester? Yeah, the, the G League team. Yes, yeah. The, uh, the, the, the G, yeah, the G League team. Yeah, he's on the G League team right now. And, um, and he just made the USA team. Great. I think right before all this happened. Yeah, Great. so I, I, I have a feeling, I mean, I, I was upset that he got waived, <laughs> of course. <laughs> but but I, I do think, I mean, I, I think that um, the NBA has not yet let him reach his potential, you know? Yeah. I'll, I'll give you some background on him, that, that, that would, why why I'm so upset about him being waived. Sure, okay? this is great. So, no. he, he, um, so he goes to Cal. He goes to, he goes to Cal. He's, mm-hmm. he's a top 10 player when he graduates mm-hmm. from high school. And, um, at the end of his freshman year, they projected him to go in the top 10 of the draft. Wow. Okay. The re- one of the reasons I think he took, he went to Cal is, so he and I have never talked about this, but just given who he is and some of the information I'm getting from Coach Lou, one uh-huh. of the reasons he wanted to go to Cal was because he wanted to stay close to Oakland. Uh-huh. The reason why he wanted to stay close to Oakland was because his mom's there and he had a little brother there. His little brother was a sophomore when he was a senior. So at the end of his freshman year, when all the other players in the top 10 went out for the draft, he chose to stay in college. He said that yeah. it was because he loved college and he wanted to stay another year. That's very interesting. And and I think it was also because of his brother. So his brother would take one more year to graduate, and he wanted to stay close to his brother before mm-hmm. he graduated. I feel like he made all the right choices for all the right reasons. But mm-hmm. then the next year, he goes way lower on the draft. He ends yeah. up going the 20s or 30s, something wow. like that. Uh-huh. That's a difference of millions of dollars. Yeah. You know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. And uh, and then and then I think because he went so long in the draft, I just don't feel like the NBA really gave him a real shot yet, mm-hmm. you know? So I want that. I want that. I mean, everybody who knows Ivan, we, we all love Ivan. We all want that for him. He He's he's like, I, I don't feel like I got as much into it in the book as, as, as I, I could have. But he's just... <laughs> His personality is pretty much the exact opposite of what you would expect mm-hmm. from a star. Like he's well, like uh-huh. incredibly humble, hard, like just everything about him is like not pretentious at all, you know? Um, and I want him to have a better shot. Well, I mean, um, uh, I think he, I mean, what you're telling me, I mean, it's interesting. I, I bet this did impact on how the NBA saw him. I mean, what we're given with uh, elite athletes is that they can't wait to make the leap into the pros. They can't yep. wait to make money. Um, I mean, they love the game, but, you know, they're ready to get go pro as quick as possible. But there is this group that, you know, maybe likes being college students. And as you said, yep. there are family concerns, too, that were more important to him yep. at the time. 
So I'll make sure yeah. I pay close attention to the Winchester Knicks' roster. I, I did yeah. not realize that they had picked him up. <laughs> but let's jump to some of the other players because once, once again, you have such an, there's such an, in, an incredible cast of characters. Um, the, the Punjabi student, uh, Jeevan uh-huh. Sandhu. Yep. Yep. Yeah. He, uh, he actually just stopped playing. He just stopped playing college because he uh-huh. got out of med school. <laughs> so he's doing great. He's okay. I mean, it's really weird, right? Like the book comes out and they're all adults now. Like all uh-huh. the seniors on that. Sure. Sure. Now. Um, but he, um, he, he, he was one of those kids that, uh, I, I clicked with almost immediately. I think it's just because he's like, he's like an immigrant kid, you know, mm-hmm. like me. Yeah, and I should so mention, the two kids that he I grew up in Oakland. In he's, he's Punjabi, but yeah, he grew up in yeah. Oakland. Yeah, yeah. Well, he grew up in Union City, which is in just, Oxford. just mm-hmm. a little bit south of Oakland, but it's essentially Oakland. Mm-hmm. It's essentially. Yeah, and, and he was always the only Punjabi kid, almost always the only Punjabi kid on the court, you know? Like, I, th- I think, uh, I don't know if I, I saw another Punjabi kid in any of the games that I watched besides him. Mm-hmm. And he, he got it. You know, he, he, he heard a lot of stuff about it. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. You know, as I was working on this book, I read a lot about basketball history and especially all the way through really, but especially in the beginning, mm-hmm. there was just a lot of racial tension, you know, absolutely. like a lot of the teams were organized by race. Yes. Absolutely. Uh, and some of that, at, like at least the at least the surface stuff has gone away. Mm-hmm. A, a lot of the surface stuff has gone away. A mm-hmm. lot of the, the it's, there are still tensions in basketball, obviously, but I feel like most of it is under the surface, you know. Sure. But not for him. For him, <laughs> it was not under the surface. For him, I heard it. I would sit in the stands and I would hear it, you know. Yeah. And it wasn't just in like like I went to a, a, a I followed the team to a tournament in Missouri. And I definitely mm. heard it there, but I also heard it in LA. Yeah, which is really, you know, it it just didn't matter. Just people would just yell really terrible stuff at him. I, I, at a certain point in the books, he talks about people calling him a terrorist, and you know, it, it, yeah. you know, presuming on his background. Um, yeah, but you, but you mentioned right. another thing: your travels with the team. I mean, effectively, over the course of the the season, you became a part of the team. I kind of did. I yeah, mean, it, it was part of it was because of the culture that. Uh, Lou and his fellow coaches established. They're just really welcoming, right? And when Lou got on board pretty early on with me doing this book, so he got tickets for me. He got like uh, hotel rooms, and I got to travel with the team. It was super fun. Yeah. It was great. And there are even sections where you know you tried to do the right thing because you know you had family commitments, and we see you sneaking yeah. off to the bathroom to like <laughs> follow the team on the internet. Yeah, dear, I'll be right back. Got to pee. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> that's right. That's right. I had to skip out on my wife's birthday to go on a tournament. Yeah, she was really under- well. Um, well, uh, you, you were clearly embraced, and uh, I thought um, uh, obviously your skill as a cartoonist uh, helped helped somewhat too. I noticed that there were you know you were putting the sketches, and uh, the, the players were coming to you, kind of at, uh, giving you suggestions about how to draw them. Yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah. But look, let's talk a little bit about because you mentioned something that I think is another important aspect of this book. I mean, it's it's a look at this season, uh, this amazing season uh, at Bishop of Dowd High School. But it's you really uh, give us some um, education about the history of the game, both on the men's side and on the women's side. So, I mean, I mean you could just briefly talk about that. Sure, sure. I so originally I was just reading books about basketball history to get to know the game. Mm-hmm. You know, I came in not as a basketball fan. I came in with very little knowledge about basketball, and I felt like I had to catch up. Uh, but then what I was reading was resonating with what I was seeing on the court, mm-hmm. and it actually changed the way I watched them play. You know, like mm-hmm. just a very uh, a, a very uh, easy example of that is um, I read about the legendary 1948 game between the Lakers and the Globetrotters, the sure. Harlem Globetrotters, mm-hmm. you know, and how that really broke down the color barrier for, for basketball. Mm-hmm. Uh, and not just that, it also broke all of these quote-unquote scientific ideas that were floating around American culture about race and athletics, mm-hmm. you know. Um, and, and then... And then also revealed how games. good a team the Harlem Globetrotters really were. Exactly. Even with, exactly. Even with the yeah. entertainment and showboating. The Lakers and George Michael yeah. were really considered the best team in the world. They were. They were by far. I mean, th- that was uh, – it was, it was, it's just stunning. I, I went to a Harlem Globetrotters game with my kids like three years ago, uh-huh. and they had a great time. You know, it was yeah. it was super entertaining. But that team had such a history, 
and I kind of wish they would talk about that history of the show. Yeah. You know, you know that's a good it's point. Not, not, yeah. Yeah, they're not just an entertainment act. They are like a historical institution. Yeah. You know, yeah. And, and, uh, and, and they played an incredibly important role in not just basketball, but American society. In any case, that kind of stuff affected the way I saw the what was happening on the court. Mm-hmm. You know, like most of the games that I went to, there were kids of every background on that court, mm-hmm. you know, especially the tournaments. It was just, it was just kids from all over. Mm-hmm. And we kind of take that for granted now. Yeah. But to get from the beginnings of basketball to that multicultural court, that was not an easy thing. You know, it's not something that you can take for granted. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So it just, I need to include that history because of that. Yeah. Um, let's see. Uh, let's see. Let's jump to another player. Uh, the, uh, the Chinese player. What's it? Kianjun or Alex? Yeah, Kian? yeah, yeah, Alex. Yeah, he went by Alex. He, he went by Alex. He, he was an interesting kid. He was a really interesting kid. He's, he's, he's a, big. an exchange student, I guess, really. Over he's there. an exchange student, yeah, and he was like really, like he was, he was taller than me. He was like 6'3", maybe 6'4", and really broad. Like he's like a, I don't know, big dude. Yeah. Uh, and, um, and he grew up in China playing Chinese style basketball, and he was always really, uh, unsatisfied with it. He wanted mm-hmm. to play American ball. Yeah. So he makes it his life mission to come here. You know, like when he's a fr- essentially the equivalent of a freshman in high school. Mm-hmm. He goes and researches a uh, foreign exchange ex- uh, agency, and then they say, "Oh, we found a great school for you. It's a state championship uh, ch- uh, champion team. Uh, you'll love it there." And he's like super excited. He gets there, and it's the state champion of Rhode Island, which is like being a state champion of Rhode Island is like being a city champion anywhere else, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so he, he goes there, he dominates, yeah. and he's just really disappointed. So he finds Bishwo down on his own, and he comes here, yeah. and this is his first real chance at, at playing. Uh, American style basketball. His goal actually was to play professionally, at least for part of his life, and he ended up doing it. So he's he's back in college now. He's at Penn State, uh-huh. but uh, he he spent a year playing professionally in Malaysia. Uh-huh. So he was able to achieve that, wow. that. That you know is he is he able to play in the U.S. or is he just going to school? He he was on the Penn State team for a while, ah. and then he and then he got I think he got picked up by this Malaysian team. He went out there and played for a year, and now I think he's back as a full time student. He just he wants to get his college degree. That's, That's what he also told me. He told me that in China, um, th- this I didn't include in the book, but he said in China, early on you actually have to make a choice whether you want to be a student or an athlete. Because if you want to be an athlete, you got to go through this 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 track where really all you do is play basketball. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And he felt like by coming to America, he was able to balance both. Yeah. He could be both a student and an athlete. Yeah. Well, there, there's something – I mean, I, I love amateur sports. I love pro sports. But obviously we've seen how amateur sports uh, can be kind of manipulated and uh, poisoned in this country. So it's actually good to see that yeah. in some ways there there is a balance there. Uh, yeah, players. And, yeah. Uh, yeah. and, and it seems as though many of the players on this team actually were able to, to do that to bounce. And, and on that note, we can talk a little bit about Austin Walker. He's another player yeah. that just seems, talk about blowing up the stereotype. Yeah, yeah, Austin Walker's a good kid. He, uh, I mean, there are a couple of kids that were, I, I would say, I would say this, in general, the student athletes at Bishop O'Dowd are truly that, are truly student athletes. Mm-hmm. You know, like, like Coach Lou would have these uh, study sessions, and and they actually, I heard kids make fun of each other for low GPAs. You know, <laughs> okay, meaning, yeah. meaning okay. it mattered, meaning yeah. it mattered. Yeah. You know, like they wouldn't just they wouldn't just make fun of each other for mistakes that they made on the court. They would also make fun of each other for bad grades. So it yeah. just means that they kind of they held it in. Like it was, it was important to them. Yeah, if, and we're if, talking about African American students as well as uh, these other students. Um, yeah, yeah, everybody, all yeah, the, everybody. The whole, mm-hmm. whole team. Yeah, and Austin Walker was uh, was a uh, just. I mean, when I met him, I was like, this is like a this is like a thirty year old dude in like a seventeen year old body. That's what it felt <laughs> like because he was like so far ahead in terms of maturity and his way of thinking about uh, the future. You know mm-hmm. that I. It was just you could tell you could tell from his presence that he was just a mature kid, right? And he really and he had, made a, a, had a plan. Yeah, he, he had knew, a plan. He was he like, knew he, was he like, wanted to. Last yeah, excuse yeah. me. Go on. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, he was like, he was like it's his senior year. He was like, this is my last year of playing basketball. I have I have colleges trying to recruit me, but I've decided in college I'm going to play some intramurals, but I'm gonna I'm gonna be a student. Yeah, yeah, right. I, and I just think most kids 
that age who are talented enough to be on a team like that would not make that choice, but he did. And he turns out to be a big star in that, in that final game. Um, uh, with a, a really big play. Um, let's, let's say, I, I want to, uh, give some words to, um, uh, to the women too, because you, you, you look at the history of men's game, you, you introduce us to, um, what's her name? Cinda. Uh, this is stuff that I didn't even know beyond, yeah, Aronson, Cinda uh, from the 1890s yeah. and the beginnings of the women's game. And at O'Dowd, you talk about the brother-sister combination of uh, the Chiden, uh, yeah, the Chido, Odera the and Orinze. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So Orinze, Orinze is, and Orinze and Jeevan are the two kids that I keep in touch with the most, mm-hmm. the, the best. And and also, I think maybe it's because Orinze is also an immigrant's kid. So his yeah. his dad is from Nigeria. Mm-hmm. Um, and and his dad told these crazy stories too that I wasn't able to include in the book. So his dad did not play basketball at all, right? Yeah. Soccer was a big thing in Nigeria, sure. but not basketball. Of course. But then he said that every now and then they would play basketball, and the way they would do it is they would go find these ant hills, okay? Mm-hmm. And they would open up these ant hills, and there'd be this goop in there. He called it ant semen. I don't know if it was actually ant semen, <laughs> okay. but it was. And he could take this. You could take this goop and you put it on a dirt. On, on a dirt floor, mm-hmm. and you could make it shiny and like hard, like a basketball court, and wow. they would play like they would play like that, right? So he eventually make he eventually comes over to uh, to uh, Oakland. He becomes a businessman. He's very successful. Mm-hmm. Raises uh, a family with three kids in uh, in the Oakland Hills, you know, um, and uh, and then he sends his kids to to Bishop Dowd, and his his daughter ends up being like this phenomenon. Our first, like the, the school's first uh, McDonald's All-American. And that's what, Oder- and she, How do you say her name? Yeah, Odera. 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 Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, and she ends up going to the WNBA for a little bit, and now she's playing in, in Europe. Wow. You know? Uh, so she's uh, she was a phenomenon. But their whole family is just was just really, I don't know. I, maybe, maybe the reason I was drawn to their family was because it reminded me of the family that I'm raising now. So I have a, I have a brother, I have a, I have a son and a daughter. I have a son uh-huh. and three daughters, especially the two older ones. Mm-hmm. They're constantly getting on each other. You know yeah. what I mean? <laughs> sure. And that's what Odera and Lorenzo were like. Yeah. Like I sat down with them for an interview and they were just constantly making fun of each other. Yeah. But then you can tell underneath that there was a lot of, a lot of love. Absolutely. You know, and when, and, and in the book you have the stories of, uh, you know, uh, Odara being the, you know, the older one, uh, dominating her little brother in basketball yeah, for years yeah. until, of course, he grows up and gets a lot bigger. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Which was only like they were, they were like a half, like like maybe a year into that yeah. <laughs> when I used them. And yeah. then, then of course, there was a really great. I mean, a part of the the charm of the book is also the relationships between different players. And we talked about um, about Ivan and in Paris. And in many cases, uh, what uh, was it, Alex and Arenze? Yeah, she, yeah, because yeah. they both had to play on the JV at an older age for yeah. coaches' reasons, and yeah. they as, came as, through as juniors. Yeah. yeah, as juniors, but they they were the only it. juniors on the on the JV team for mm-hmm. for coaches' reasons, and uh, and I think they did over that, you know. So Arinze would sometimes give give uh, Alex rides to places mm-hmm. and. Uh, they, they bonded because of that. Yeah. I think I think it must be hard to be the only juniors, right? Yeah, yeah. On a team like that. But they, you know, it seems like they sucked it up, and then they were they made the varsity, and they, they were there for this big game. Um, yeah, that's right. They were there for that game. Um, now, uh, now, Coach Richie is a really incredible character. Uh, you know, uh, you know, it's very interesting. It, it very often for me, his reactions after some big losses, which I thought would devastate him. He seems to have the, the know how to say the right thing at the right time to the right player. I guess that's what great coaches are like. Um, uh, but there is this figure that looms over all of this and in the book, and that's Mike Phelps, uh, yeah. an iconic coach in the history. Um, I don't know, do you want to talk a little bit about that? I know this was yeah, a sure. tough topic uh, in the book. This is part of the sure. book is whether sure. to include him or not to include him. Yeah, I mean, Mike Phelps has a huge presence in uh, in Bishop O'Dowd basketball. Not just Bishop O'Dowd, actually, in California sure. State mm-hmm. High School basketball. So when he retired, um, he was the winningest coach in California State history uh, at the high school level. Mm-hmm. So he was hugely respected, uh, but 
Um, he also, the, the reason why he retired, he was kind of forced into retirement because of these charges of uh, child molestation. It was actually, I shouldn't say charges. It was one charge. One charge. Uh, From the 1960s, It wasn't even right? a charge. It was an accusation. It was an yeah. accusation. Yeah, it was an accusation that ended up getting thrown out because of the statute of limitations. So we don't know. Like, mm-hmm. there was never an official declaration of his guilt or his innocence. Mm-hmm. Even so, I think I, uh, most people at the school believe, the vast majority of us believe, that the school did the right thing by not asking him to come back, mm-hmm. even though it was inclusive. But there was just, it was just this weird, I don't know. There was a, there's definitely an uncertainty around Mike Phelps, right? The, mm-hmm. this whole, the whole team feels that way, I think. There's always been this weird cloud of unknowing around that whole situation. Sure. And, um, and had this been fiction, had I, had I been able to treat it as fiction, I would have just cut him out because I wanted it to be, um, a, a pure feel good story. Mm-hmm. But as I was going through the book, I just felt like, especially through the season, you know, I just felt like I, I couldn't. Coach Lou had a really close relationship with sure. Mike Phelps even after everything went down. Um, and uh and then I would debate in my head, you know, was he was he being compassionate towards an old man or was he kind of excusing the actions of a monster? I yeah. had that question back and forth in my head the whole time. Yeah. You know? No, I don't know. It, I, don't know I don't know how I landed. I, I mean now I feel really uncertain about it. Well well and you know, I think one of the great facts about the one of the great things about this book is that I mean you all your ups uh, your uncertainties are kind of laid bare. I mean you're <laughs> I mean, you talk about them in the book. Uh, uh, you talk yeah. about them with your wife. Uh, you question yourself. Uh, I mean, you are a character uh, in this story, of course. Uh, and and part of it is, uh, well, like any good team, you kind of watch this whole team come together through their individual stories. Um, and you're embraced very much, too, as you give a little pep talk, if I'm not mistaken, at halftime of the big game. And I yeah, think the, well, thing, okay. the things you say in that point, uh, now, I know you moved some things around for narrative convenience, yeah. but, but yeah, so, right. did that really that's happen right. or, so, or what? So Coach Lou, Coach Lou would always, this is part of him being welcoming, right? Mm-hmm. So almost to a fault, I would say. He would, he would do this thing at the end of every pep talk where he would ask every adult in the room, like a parent, anybody, you know, any, yeah. anybody, like a photographer, he'd be like, you have anything to say to the players? You have anything to say to the yeah. players? <laughs> I'd be like, I barely know anything about basketball. What can I say to the players? <laughs> so the, the pep talk that I give in the in the book, uh, I put um, in halftime. I do that for for narrative reasons. Sure, but I did give that pep talk. It just yeah. wasn't at that moment. I see. You know, I I ended up saying those things. I think at the practice the morning of. Uh-huh. You know, I I told them you you guys made me into basketball fans, and this is why. You know, yeah, yeah. You, you made me you made me respect your sport. And, yeah. and really love the sport, and this is why. Yeah. Uh, well, yeah. no matter when you said it, it's a moving moment, um, and this is a book full of moving moments. Um, and of course, the penultimate, well, not the penultimate, the ultimate moment, uh, is this team that had been, that had failed so many times. I mean, you couldn't have planned it better. Earlier in the book, you, you tell your wife, what happens if they don't win? <laughs> well, they did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's you know this game. This game uh, was just named the California High School Game of the Decade. Wow! Wow! Uh, and, and there, are, yeah, yeah. I never, I, I couldn't have guessed it, right? I couldn't have guessed it. It, it was. Uh, it, it, it's it was, amazing. It, it all comes together. Uh, it, it's hard to believe, um, uh, but it comes together on, on so many levels. Um, uh, you know, just the human level. The, the the working quarter gold level, uh, you know, playing at a high level, acquiring skills, uh, just caring about the dude next to you. I mean, it brings so much together under the you know the the, the banner of sports. Uh, so welcome to the club, <laughs> the, the goofy sports fan club. Yeah. You know, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, it's, it's a pleasure. Um, uh, let me see. Did I ask you everything that I needed to? I think I did. Um, uh, so you do keep in touch with the players, obviously. And, and I, I think What's I mentioned, of, yeah. I think I mentioned that the part of the book is you deciding that, hey, I'm all in. I'm going to write Superman. I'm, you know, I'm gonna, <laughs> not gonna teach. And, you know, the coach pat you on the back. So, you know, it's a complete story. 
Well, thanks, thanks, Calvin. Yeah, but that that really was uh, uh, an outcome of the season. I ended up leaving the school yeah. and mm. going to work for DC Comics. Yeah, but you worked there for a yeah. long time, so obviously, uh, I was there you for still care about it. It was hard. Yeah. It was hard. It was hard to leave. That, that was actually the third time that DC approached me, and I had um, I had turned them down. I didn't talk about this in the book, but I turned them down mm-hmm. twice because I didn't want to leave, yeah. and then I ended. Up leaving. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, wow. So, look, I know also you had a big um, uh, tour plan, uh, as so many authors uh, did for this time of year. Uh, the pandemic and otherwise has changed that. But you're doing some other things um, besides talking to me. I am. <laughs> I am. Uh, well, well, yeah, yeah. We're, I'm doing a I'm doing a talk shop live tomorrow, mm-hmm. uh, an event. Tomorrow. It, it'll be similar to this. Um, and then uh, I did a cartoon book tour. So on my Instagram. So in, oh, okay. for, I was supposed to go on a two-week book tour, so I did a two-week daily strip oh. where I talked about the book and the themes behind the book. All right. Um, well, and I also know, obviously, uh, you're, you've are you got another book. Is it out now or about to come out, Superman? Uh, in May, uh, yeah. I have two books coming out yeah. this, this spring. <laughs> Not Superman the Superman smashes the clan. That's all right. That's what I'm saying. Right. That any list I give will be incomplete. But I, <laughs> I really appreciate that. <laughs> really appreciate it. So, uh, so be on the lookout for that. And um, look, I, I could I could continue talking with you, but I'm sure you got other things to do. Uh, uh, Gene, it's always great to talk to you. Congratulations on this book. I'm gonna after I finish talking to you, I'm gonna go back and read it again. Oh, thank you, thank you, and check out Ivan. <laughs> yes, out I'm gonna read. believe me. I mean, yeah. I can't even believe. Believe me, I. You won't believe. I watch Nick's games. Believe me, I've been in bars and asked him to turn. The game on, and the guy looks at me and says, "Really?" <laughs> I say, "Yeah, yeah he didn't have a ton of time." I'm hoping, I'm hoping the NBA finally gives him a shot. Well, we're, we're going to find out. Hoping. You know, uh, I, I'm not too optimistic about live sports the rest of this year. Um, yeah, but uh, you know, uh, but like I said, I've got your book to keep me warm. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> thank so, you. Gene, thank, thank you so okay. much for being on. More to come. It is always a pleasure. Great. Thank you so much, Kevin. Take care. All right, All right you too. And welcome, listeners, to another segment of Stargazing. And I'm here with the PW Graphic Novels Re- Reviews Editor, Meg Limke. Meg, how you doing? I'm okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I think that's the appropriate answer uh, under the circumstances. Uh, stargazing is coming to you as we both shelter in place uh, in our various domiciles in New York City. Uh, yeah, we are I, in however, New York. Have- you have two two wonderful children also that you're mm-hmm. sheltering with. So, and my um, staff in a small uh, space. In a very small space. So, um, you know, hang in there. Thank uh, you. All right. Uh, I'm on the Lori side here with my lovely wife, uh, Jody Culkin. <laughs> uh, and, um, but we're going to talk about books uh, and we're going to talk about really special books, right? So maybe you want to just to let our listeners know very quickly what Stargaze is all, is all about. So this is the segment of the podcast where we talk about books that have recently received a starred review in Publishers Weekly, which is a notation of a very well done and exceptional book. So it just kind of bumps up a review and it's to signal to booksellers and readers this is something you absolutely want to pick up. Um, so it's for me, it's also a book that I usually really loved. Um, so a reviewer who are anonymous, all of our reviewers will recommend it for a star, but then, you know, as a reviews editor, I get the, the pleasure of having to decide which ones get the star. Um, so the first yeah. one we're going to we talk have this about, week? Yeah. yeah, is Child Star, appropriately yeah. enough, by Brian Box Brown or Box Brown as we knew him until just recently. So he just appended his, um, it's Christian name, right? The yes, um, original. Yes, yes. He's decided to give up the name that he's he's kind of gone. The nickname that he's had for many years, um, which has always been a little unusual to me because I mean, for those who may not know, Box Brown, then that name that refers to a slave from 1833 who shipped himself to freedom in the North in a wooden crate to a group of abolitionists in Philadelphia. Uh, so I always was a little curious why he was using this name. But as it turned out, he, you know, it was for entirely different reasons, and he's sort of now, I think, going back to. Uh, 
I figured he just was called Box as like a kid, right? Like it was a nickname. Well, actually, um, and well, the reason why I know this is because uh, people can also go to publishersweekly.com slash comics and they'll find um, a uh, we have an author profile, oh, the profile. of Brian Box Brown this week. And mm-hmm. it's just uh, it's a nickname. Yes, that he did pick up. I think early on, um, but then he began to, he used it in his various, various points in his career as, mm-hmm. as his name. So, um, and with, you know, really without thinking about so much about, uh, any meanings beyond that. Box is also the publisher at Retrofit, just to mention. Well, know, um, yes, he used to be, you know, now he has, he has since, uh, moved away from that. Oh, okay. Uh, that's another thing that comes out. Uh, in, yeah, clearly I need to. I I help yeah. design the profile, but I read it now. <laughs> yeah, I mean his, his original nickname uh, dates from his college days, and then he used it on AOL Messenger. Then he had a live journal where he was his username. Um, but um, uh, he he did launch Retrofit, and but then he he merged it. I think in 2013 mm-hmm. he merged with Big Planet Comics, and uh, he left the press in 2018. Uh, okay. Because his as his career has gotten bigger, and he, I think he has a kid now as well. He does have a kid. This has been an education for all of us. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> but let's talk about That's Child Star. Book. Yeah, and it, so, uh, very interesting because this is fiction, and and mm-hmm. uh, Box has kind of been known uh, for his nonfiction. Right. So he wrote Andre the Giant, which was a big hit, and also um, the Tetris book, which I quite loved. I did too. Um, and a theme you will hear shared here is he has a real interest in pop culture, and in particular 80s and 90s pop culture. Um, and this book is about 80s pop culture, and particularly that phenomenon of the child star. So the yeah. it's a novelization of an amalgamation character who really is like a Gary Coleman, Ricky Schroeder, or that like Mason Reese mm-hmm ever heard the really fantastic podcast why is mason reese crying um by yeah, i'm not familiar with that podcast because this is <laughs> he, he's, his, his focus is sitcoms in particular right so it's about uh, a kid a child actor named owen eugene who um has a congenital disorder that makes him appear younger um like young in the face and younger than he actually is and so he's able to both like intellectually take cues as a, as an actor for um, a role for a much younger child and then to stay in that child role, even though he ages. Um, and it's about, you know, what it, what it does to the psyche to be um, supporting your parents as a child star in this era where like the catchphrase is everything and just all of the weirdness of the eighties and it, he follows like a very typical trajectory, you know, through estrangement with his family, a marriage that's really goes off the rocks, um, addiction. It's a very weird, like sad, and it's all done in this mockumentary style also where like he doesn't really speak. It's people speak about him. Um, and I just, I don't know. I was really taken with it. Um, I happen to actually have really close friends, both of whom were child actors. And oh, actors interesting. Now. Yeah, and they're married to each other. And I <laughs> I just have heard a lot about what that was like to grow up in that way, and they neither of them, like, hit it big, you know, and I feel mm-hmm. like there's this sort of aura of, like, having escaped that in a good way, you mm-hmm. know? Yeah. Um, I, well, just, I, I really loved it. Yeah, I, you know what? I really loved it, too. Um, I, I, he's really taken... Uh, I mean, so many of his books, like we talked about Andre the Giant, I mean, he did a wonderful book on uh, cannabis, the history of marijuana. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Tetris, as you mentioned, also really was a deep dive into the history of the game and into mm. the beginnings of the video game industry. Mm-hmm. And what I love about uh, uh, Brian Box Brown really is, uh, I mean, he has a very simple drawing style that he uses to masterful effect. He It's a really amazing uh the richness, the characterization, uh, the emotional response that he gets out of a very simple style of drawing. Uh, and, and, but he really works it. Um, uh, but it really is interesting has how he has took a deep dive into these, uh, this, the, uh, I guess the cultural, um, uh, mythology of the child star and, and everything that means. And he's kind of recreated it. I think using the lives of many others, he, he seemed to have done quite a bit of research to create this work of fiction that's illuminating into the, the period 
especially because uh, mm-hmm. he's really into that period. Um, but it kind of really shows how, you know, they get sucked dry in the industry. Um, it, I thought it would pair well also with Michael Cooperman's book, All the Answers, you know, which is about his father's yeah, experience as a quiz kid. You know, I think they're both about the way that the sort of celebrity industrial culture of America harms the people caught in it, particularly when they're caught in it as children and how much it, it, like, it robs their childhood directly for the amusement of other children. Yeah, no, it, it really, uh, you know, it, it really is a strong work and it really does kind of offer, <laughs> it puts a window into how our, the, the meat grinder of the entertainment industry. So I'll just quote from the review, which I thought was great. Um, the blocky art moves the narrative long at an enjoyable clip and it's appropriate that Eugene, irresistible to TV land fans, often looks lumpy and off-putting. This in-the-nose skewering of celebrity and pop culture will entertain children of the 80s as well as their own children. Which many of them have now. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Uh, So changing tone in one way, though, she actually takes this topic in a way with a lot of wit. Um, I'm going to move to – oh, sorry. So first I should say that Box's book is coming out in June. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And it's from um, For Second. Yes. And then we're going to move on to Leslie Stein's I Know You Writer from Drawn and Quarterly, which is out in May, which is – possibly when this will air if not in uh, April. So either way, it's something you can get soon. And this is a memoir from Leslie. Um, one of a series of memoirs that she's done. I have long been a fan of Leslie's work. I interviewed her actually at the Paris review about her book, bright eyed at midnight. Um, some years before I started working for PW. I just think she's a really interesting person and character mm-hmm. um, as an artist. She's also a musician and she's a bartender. So she has these like, it's just these, these like characters, you know, sort of New York characters yeah. to be the, the bartender, to be the young musician, to be the artist. And she's an observer in all of these roles. Like she's definitely somebody who kind of moves through space and observes it. Um, and with a, with a slight detachment, you know, and I think in a lot of ways in her earlier work, she's like, um, she's enamored of that attachment. And then this book, is a maturation and that she's making a very serious life decision in it and examining it. Um, and I feel like to me, this is really one of the best of all the books that I've, I've already appreciated from her. Um, it's about her experience of abortion and her decision to have an abortion. Mm. And it's about um, moving through that in a way that I think embraces the complexity of it, because I think that it's a book that's very much um, appreciative of, of the decision and the choice to have an abortion, but also takes it with full complexity for that individual experience. Mm. Um, and we interviewed Leslie also actually in the magazine. So both of the books we're talking about today have features where you can and hear more from the artists about the work. Um, and she talks about some like very deliberate choices. Like you open up in the clinic, there's no, there's no use of this. Like, is she or is she, is she not going to terminate the pregnancy that I think a lot of popular culture takes as the narrative, you mm-hmm. know, around abortion. Like it's all about the decision for her. It's, you know, the reader knows the decision is made and it's about the circumstances and the, um, and just the person you're know, going through that decision. Mm. And, and then in that, there's some really kind of lovely and often light moments. And she talks about the weirdness of having her mom, who really wants grandchildren, visiting her around this time. Yeah. You know, the ways that she appreciates her is with um, the kids of friends of hers. She also she's a bartender in Park Slope, which is also happens to be where I live in Brooklyn, which is like super baby central. There's just really great <laughs> Interesting. passage. Also, which, yeah, she, she does these. Um, she does these daily comics for Vice. So she's mm-hmm. been, she's done diary comics them for a while. And when she's asked in our interview, like how she came up t- to do this book, she literally was like, my job is to write about what's happening to me. And I realized this was a bigger topic, mm-hmm. you know? So, um, one of the Vice comics that was really popular was her talking about like women with their strollers coming into the bar that she works at and she can't, they, they have like no stroller policy, which is like a big thing in Park Slope, whether or not a bar has a stroller policy. Yeah. And, she, um, <laughs> that, like, ha, like, like one quarter of the reader listenership is like totally knows what I'm talking about, and everyone else doesn't. <laughs> what? <laughs> but, uh, but, I was not aware of this myself, so I've actually right. learned something. 
so she has a scene where she turns these people away and they're like, I'm going to write this up on Yelp. And she's like, I'm going to write your babies up on Yelp. And it's very, <laughs> very funny. And it cracked me up because she a hundred percent could be talking about me. Like I live very close to this particular bar. I know the uh, bar. So, you know, I've definitely tried to get people to let me take my stroll into their bar. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, So she's very much, she's like saturated in this, this mommy culture in this neighborhood and then making this decision in the midst of that. And wow. I think it's really, um, it's just a really beautiful book. And she writes about the, the, uh, the dalliance, essentially. It's like a, it's not a serious relationship, at least how it's presented in the memoir. It's not. And, you know, how she navigates the relationship with the, uh, yeah. I unfortunately have not read the book, but I've heard quite a bit about it. I've actually moderated a panel with Leslie on with one of her mm-hmm. earlier books. Uh, so I am anxious to read the book here. And it certainly does sound incredibly interesting. I'm also fascinated by her drawing style, which is really not like anybody else. Right. She has this beautiful drawing style. And again, yeah. I think like, I think all of her work has really been suited mm-hmm. to the, you know, like there's a, like a very like beautiful match here to me of like kind of whimsical, um, impressionistic drawing style she has. I don't know if that's the right term exactly, but it's like oh, people are like little thumbprints. It's like she she has she lays the watercolor down. I think I don't know what order she does, but it looks like it, she it looks like watercolor and, and, and draws around it possibly. And her characters uh, are sort of there and not there, you know. Right, it's very interesting. Right. What I'm saying, it's such a beautiful fit mm-hmm. for this book. Um, sorry, it really moved me, yeah. and you know, clearly I'm someone who's very keen on kids and I also am very keen on choice and that understanding yeah, of, yeah. of making well, that choice for yourself. Uh, well, it's, it's, it's next on my list. I'm going to make sure that I read it. It's a beautiful book. And I think she did an amazing job with it. And I hope that it um, touches many people either who've had that experience or know people. I mean, it's, um, it's going to speak to a lot of readers. Great. All right. All right. Well, two really wonderful books because that's what we do here on Stargaze and we talk about really wonderful books. So thanks so much, uh, Meg, and uh, we'll be back soon with another episode of Stargazing. Thanks, Calvin. Thank Stay you. Stay safe. Yes. Thanks. Oh, boy. What a time. Take care. Thank you.